Hey, what's happening? Sorry for skipping out on you guys last week. I didn't tweet any warning or anything. I just dropped off the map. Really got buried with work and some personal things that came up. And it left me with no time to, you know, push an episode out. You know, when a friend reaches out for help, you help. Right? Everything else just comes second. And my friends were there for me when I needed them and it's my turn now. Wanted to thank Dave for doing a wellness check on me, as well as my good friend Sue. I love you both, and uh, didn't mean to alarm anybody. Life gets in the way sometimes, you know? And if any of you expected me to address what's going on in Afghanistan, uh, sorry to disappoint you, (laughs) all right? It's sad, it's worrisome, and uh, it was just a giant mess. And my heart breaks every time I hear about the loss of any of our troops, and I'm, I'm truly sorry. But this show is about hope, about happiness, about distracting ourselves for half an hour before we have to get back to reality. It's about dick jokes, shit jokes, you know, filthy language, generally not taking anything seriously. So I'm sticking to my guns. Anyway, I hope everything's going great with you guys. I managed to complete one of the last of two major projects in my house that was kind of weighing on me. Something that I knew had to be done, but I kept putting it off because I knew it was going to be a major amount of work. And it was. But now that it's completed, it almost feels like this giant weight has been lifted off of my shoulders and I've I've got this sense of clarity. Now, I'd go into specifics, but it would bore the living shit out of you. So let me just say that it's like this. Imagine that you've been driving in a big traffic jam every day for about a year. But suddenly, the traffic clears, and you're able to drive straight through to your destination every day, no problem. That's what this feels like. I'm waking up in peace. I'm getting back to my cooking roots, exploring new cuisine, uh, being a lot more productive and creative, not thinking about this roadblock anymore. So, you know, I wake up every day with a clear head, and I'm starting to enjoy this Parisian lifestyle that I had started to establish once before, all because I needed to rally to help a friend out. It's funny how life works, right? A simple life, less clutter, slow things way down, concentrate on the little things, you know, get back to people watching, you know, drink small coffees, plan my next meal right after I finish the one I'm eating. That's the shit, man. Like whenever Bourdain would visit these small European towns and you'd see how simple they were living their life, how everything revolved around food, wine, enjoying your friends, enjoying life, I would get really jealous. And look, I know the world's burning right now, but if I concentrated less on that and more on my own world revolving around me, you know, my head's going to stay in the right place. But with that being said, I still have one big, you know, thing to complete here. I have to replace my carpet upstairs. It's a major thing. It's a major expense. But it really only involves dragging my shit out of my room and my guest room office so they can do their work. And I'll be camping in my living room for a few days, but it's a small price to pay outside of what it's going to cost me, you know, to recarpet the place. But after that, my home is going to be brand new. Ah, the pleasures of home ownership. 
I should just live in a fucking tent, right? It's much less drama. You don't have to pay property taxes. And don't get me started on property taxes. Orange County's ridiculous. And if you're listening, little Miss Treasurer, fuck you and fuck your mother. At least use a little lube next time you send me the bill. And speaking of our treasurer, I went to the website and holy shit, she's a smoking hot piece. Jesus Christ. I think, you know, maybe that encourages people to pay too much tax with a smile on their face when they see her picture. And on the subject of my friends, another friend of mine drove up north early last week for the birth of his grandson. I have never known anyone who was more uncomfortable with the idea of becoming a grandfather. He was like, he wanted to make sure none of us called him grandpa because it would make him feel old. I'm like, dude, sorry, but you're old. I've got a friend who's younger than I am, and he's got grandkids. My buddy Jesse, he listens to the show. Shout out to Jesmo. He digs being a grandfather. Most people who have kids enjoy being a grandparent. It doesn't mean that you're old. It just means your family is expanding. This guy, who will remain nameless, not calling him out, even though he doesn't even listen to the show, he's having a real problem with it. We don't act our age. This group, one of the guys in our group, is 15 years older than I am. He acts just as young as the rest of us. Age is a number, and it's all in your head. And you know what happens when you tell your buddies not to do something, right? They'll do it twice as hard as they would have if you hadn't said anything. You give a group of wise guys a reason to break your balls, and they're going to bust the shit out of them. It's not going to change who you are being a grandparent. Now, having kids changes who you are, forces you to grow up a little bit. But if you regress to that nutty young adult mentality that you once had, grandkids not going to change a damn thing. So I had a long list of things I wanted to talk about last week, and I'm going to just bring them up this week. But last Monday, the FDA granted full approval to the uh, Pfizer vaccine for people uh, ages 16 and older. And this was the first COVID vaccine that was approved by the FDA. And of course, this is going to, you know, more than likely open the door to more vaccine mandates. You know, you can't go to elementary school without all of your shots anyway, right? Just got to add this one to your list. And also, you know, people tend to trust the FDA, right? Great. Now, Moderna's vaccine, that should be next. So both of them will be on the market and approved in uh, almost no time. I love that news, okay? It's great. Here's where I have a problem. How can Pfizer be so good at naming drugs then totally drop the ball when it mattered the most? Like if I say Viagra, you know what I'm referring to, right? Pfizer hit that one out of the park. The only other name that would have been better would have been if they called it Boner Time, right? You want to know what dumb name they came up with for the COVID vaccine? Comirnaty. The fuck does that mean? Does that sound like anything to you? Sounds like whoever came up with that name was calling it COVID Naughty, but he was like, you know, on his eighth shot of tequila when he made the announcement. Moderna, they're calling their spike facts. Now that's a badass name. If I gave you two options for a vaccine. One was called Comirnaty and the other was spike vax. Which one are you going to choose? <laughs> Jesus, Pfizer. 
Like you carry the ball from deep in your own end zone. You run the entire length of the field untouched. Then you fumble the ball on the half yard line. Dummies. Anyway, it's great that it's been approved. I just hate the name. Oh, oh my God, this is great. So I was telling this story to my buddy Mark on our bike ride a couple weeks ago, a couple weekends ago, actually. I had gone to the store before meeting up with some friends for a barbecue, and I wanted to get some flavored sparkling water because, you know, I, I try not to drink beers or anything the day before a big ride. So I go down the aisle to look at my options, and I see this woman from behind. She's browsing the aisle, right? Nicely dressed, cute jeans, nice boots, loose sweater, seemed to have some really nice hair. As I got closer, she turns around, she stares at me, and she looked exactly like a cat. And I'm not even fucking with you. She looked like a goddamn house cat. Her face had so much plastic surgery, it was scary. Cheekbones angled, chin like this, well, you can't see, uh, it looked like it was chiseled. Mark asked me, what did her eyes look like? I said, like, I don't know. Like a fucking cat. It was scary, all right? And then, as I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to buy, right, what flavor, she's hovering nearby. So I look over at her. She's staring at me like a cat. Like, it, it seriously freaked me out. I was like, the fuck is this? Mark's laughing. He said, how old do you think she was? I'm like, I don't know. Who knows? All that surgery done. Maybe she's already spent eight of her nine lives. Like when people get that much plastic surgery done to their face, you don't even know what the hell they originally look like. A friend of ours, Dick, he's a comedian, right? He's got this joke that he tells in his act. He says people these days get so much plastic surgery, the only way you can tell if they're actually ugly or not is to look at their kids. Like why do people do this to themselves? Do they think it makes them look attractive? I mean, seriously. You have to have major head issues if you're so addicted to plastic surgery that you hate your God-given look so much that you would resort to going under the knife that many times and have your face just reanimated. It's not attractive. It's sad. And I, I couldn't get the hell out of there fast enough, to be honest with you. <laughs> like, I'll stroll through a grocery store, take my time. This time, I grab my waters, I fast-pace myself to self-checkout so I could leave that building as quickly as possible. It was the first time I've literally run from a woman. And I'm not opposed to anyone going under the knife, all right? You want to tweak your nose or get rid of the bags under your eyes, do a little Botox, get rid of the crow's feet, or get a tummy tuck, or put some double Ds up top so your tits don't look like, you know, two, two saggy fried eggs. Go for it. But to fuck with your face so much, that no one from high school would recognize you. You need to lay down on a couch, talk to somebody. You talk about needing everyone's attention. Okay, so this story is kind of weird and it's kind of involved. Ended up being a total fiasco. Ended up not even being a story. A couple of weeks ago, OnlyFans said that they were going to start banning sexually explicit videos in October. That they would still allow nude photos and videos provided that they're consistent with OnlyFans policies. Who knows what those are? But this basically was going to leave sex workers and cam girls who've established these fan bases 
It's going to leave them in the dust. So when the story broke, it appeared that they were instituting this new policy because they needed capital, right? They wanted to grow. They need, you know, investment money. But I guess investors were a little concerned about the amount of nasty shit that was going on there. So they said, you know, they were kind of forced to do this. Then another story broke a couple days later. It blamed credit card companies like Visa and MasterCard, who begun taking this hardline stance against online pornography and trafficking. It's like basically an evangelical stance, really. Who knows for sure? It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter to me, all right? This isn't my thing. But this didn't make any sense to anybody. Only fans' bread and butter are these cam girls and these sex workers who use it to do whatever it is that they do. And I guess the outcry from OnlyFans customers was so great that they they recanted, all right? They said, never mind, business as usual. But I never understood how OnlyFans became a thing anyway. Aren't there tons of cam sites out there? Then there's Pornhub. I don't know why anybody who does this type of work doesn't just stick with one of those options. Like, I've never been on OnlyFans, all right? So I, I can't speak on the subject very well. But I can make jokes about it, right? like anybody's business. I don't support sex workers. Like I've never understood the appeal to that for men or women. And the couple times I've given in, I've gone to a strip club, I felt sad, mostly for the girls in there. I know they don't have a problem with it. They're making money. I just felt sad that their lives had come to this. I'm a big talker on the show, all right? I'm a big talker in general, but I have kind of a conservative approach when it comes to stuff like this. I get shy easily. And the one time my friends had they brought me uh, to one of these places and bought me a lap dance, I was shaking in fear. All right. It made me feel dirty. I ended up making jokes to the girl while she was doing it, which I don't think she appreciated very much. But that's what I do when I get nervous. I make jokes. I think she said something like, uh, I get off at 10, you know, if you want a private party. And I'm like, hey, listen, my privates are already having a party. (laughs) Funny. She looks at me weird and said, whatever. Like porn serves a purpose. All right. I'm not shy talking about that. People watch it. Plain and simple. They might not want to admit it. Like couples watch it together. Sometimes that will spice up a relationship. But Pornhub cornered that market. I don't understand why more of these cam models aren't just going on there. Like, I don't know. Maybe they don't allow live streaming. Maybe that's it. And then there has to be this chat feature. So I don't know the specifics of Pornhub, really. But if I were Pornhub, I'd get working on this right away if they don't already offer something like this. But I read the story on Bloomberg a couple weeks ago. I found out OnlyFans takes a 20% cut. That's huge. That's what these creative agencies that I work with, that's what they take. And I'm telling you, it's a bigger cut than you might think. Like you're doing all the work. They provide the platform and take 20% right off the top. But think about it. As an entrepreneur, these cam girls, they've got a ton of fans, right? You know, there has to be a shit ton of geeks out there who whack their mortadella to these girls on a regular basis. These girls could easily reach out to one of these guys Ask them if they could put together a site for them. You know, offer a streaming option and a chat room feature and host it yourself. Either pay the kid for it or give him a lifetime subscription to your site so he could, you know, 
slap his baloney for free for the rest of his sad life. But I will say this. Whenever I'd hear the words OnlyFans, all I thought about was porn and sex shows, peep shows, right? Turns out, according to what they're saying, there's much more on there. But if you say OnlyFans to people, they think porn. So the fact that this saga ended with them going back to allowing live porn shows on that site, it was the only thing that saved them from extinction. They were going to die. Because you take away nudity and sex and stuff, that site becomes as irrelevant as Tumblr. Remember, Tumblr did that. Now nobody uses it. But it's true if you think about it. Who does all the work to make OnlyFans OnlyFans? The people who create content for it. Who does all the work to make YouTube popular? Content creators. They post the content. So why slap them in the face? I had started this cycling video podcast a few years ago, and I was posting it on YouTube, and I started to get some really decent content on there. Next thing I knew, YouTube was trying to screw me out of monetization money by putting copyright violations on my videos. The only problem was I was creating the music for those videos. So every time I'd post a video, I'd get a violation notice from them, which required me to go back, I'd have to dispute it, send them a copy of my song that I posted on there, and like a week later, the violation would be lifted. But that killed me every time because the entire time that video was being played, I wasn't getting any ad revenue from it until they lift the copyright violation, which was bogus to begin with. So what did I do? I figured out how to make my videos web optimized just like YouTube does. Then I used this HTML5 video code and I posted them on my website and I streamed directly to my audience. Fuck YouTube. But here's the problem with creators who host their own content. You have to drive the traffic to your website. And that's where companies like OnlyFans and YouTube have their market cornered because people know that's where you go to view videos or, you know, porn sex shows. They do the marketing. They drive the traffic. But how much is that worth? 20%? Because that's what you tip your waiter for doing a really good job and bringing food to your table. And then the more you order, the higher the tip is. But it would be nice to see streaming video corporations treat their bread and butter just a little nicer. You know, if sex workers wanted to be mistreated, man, they'd go back to work in the streets. But on the subject of attention whores, if I say the name Spencer Eldon, do you know who I'm talking about? No? Exactly. What if I showed you an album cover with a naked baby in a pool with a dollar bill floating in front of his face and asked you to name the album? You'd get that right away, right? Maybe the most iconic rock album cover of all time. Nirvana's never mind. Well, Eldon, who's been constantly reminding people over and over again that he's the baby in the photo for the last 30 years because it was his, you know, 15 minutes of fame. Now he's trying to sue the band, the labels, everybody involved, so he can make a giant payday. Suddenly, after all this time, he's trying to pin them for child pornography. And before I go further, I'm going to be 100% honest with you. I hated that album cover. I loved the music, hated the cover. It's just weird staring at a nude little boy with his dick hanging out. I thought it went too far. And I had the cover flipped upside down in its CD case when I owned it. I wouldn't call it child pornography, but I just, I I did think it was distasteful. 
But this Joker is making a fool of himself. He's been recreating that cover over and over again for years. Celebrates the fucking thing. Now, suddenly, he wants to make mad money off of it. It's pathetic. Good luck with that. I don't know what the statute of limitations are with things like this, or if that even applies to something like this. But I'd have to think that there's not a whole lot of ground here. Listen to what the attorney says. Mr. Eldon suffered permanent harm because of his association with the album, including emotional distress and a lifelong loss of income earning capacity. (laughs) The lawsuit did not provide details about the losses, of course, and said they'd be disclosed at the trial. Mr. Eldon, an artist living in Los Angeles County, has gone to therapy for years to work through how the album cover affected him. He hasn't met anyone who hasn't seen his genitalia. It's a constant reminder that he has no privacy. His privacy is worthless to the world. Dude, you're 30. Nobody knows that baby. Nobody knows who that baby is till you tell him, okay? So you're recreating the album cover over and over again, reminding people it's you, saying how cool it is that you've been a part of something so iconic. Suddenly... You're not making any money as an artist. You find yourself 30 years old doing nothing. Now you're looking for your day in the sun. Bad optics, dude. Really bad. He could have just disappeared. Never mentioned it. Nobody know. Nobody's going to know that was him. I mean, he's a fucking baby. But no, he spent the last 30 years trying to become relevant as the cover kid for that album. Trying to make a name for himself. And it's not working. So he's going to try this shit to make money. It's gross. I think maybe he's pissed off because his dick never grew any bigger. Who knows? Yeah, I don't know how many of you listen to the podcast, The Daily, from the New York Times. But if you don't, you should. It's the finest podcast I've heard. And it shows what a, a team of professionals can accomplish day in and day out. I can't say enough good things about it. They layer audio, sound effects, music, They've got great reporting. They pace it in such a way that each episode kind of sounds like a movie. Now, I can't listen to every episode because sometimes they cover topics that I'm either oversaturated with already or simply just a little too hard to listen to without bumming myself out. But more often than not, they're going to feature stories that I wouldn't have known about. Like last week, they featured this story on scent dogs. And it was fascinating. I know a lot about dogs. I've said that here before. One of the things I found most fascinating about dogs is how powerful their sense of smell is. Get this. Dogs have around 300 million scent receptors in their noses. To understand how powerful that is, humans have around 5 or 6 million. So that makes dogs 50 to 60 times better smellers than we are. Now, I still don't understand why smelling each other's asses is necessary for dogs. I'm not sure what you get from smelling someone's butt other than a loss of appetite. But that's not why I'm bringing the subject up. Dogs need a job. All right. If a dog doesn't have a job, if you don't give him a job, he'll try to make one for himself. This is why when you come home, he'll bring you a shoe or something. Right. A dog without a job is not a happy dog. Which is why what we would call bad dogs, right? Dogs who rip your house apart or get into your trash, or shit on the floor, things like that. That's on the owner, on the handler, for not giving that dog a purpose, something to do. 
kids that are bored, you know, they end up getting in trouble. Same rule applies with dogs. Anyway, getting back to the subject of scent dogs, they were talking about how dogs are being underutilized in today's society. Like when that apartment complex came crashing down in Florida, the first thing they did was send out scent hounds to try to locate people that were buried under the rubble. Like you give the dog a scent to hunt, then send him running, he'll sniff around till he finds what he's supposed to be looking for. And when he finds it, he'll either bark or sit just to let you know he's located what you wanted him you know, to locate. This is why drug sniffing dogs are so effective at airports. So when I was watching that live footage after the apartment crash, and I saw those dogs running around all over the place, never barking or sitting, I knew this was going to be bad. But on this podcast, they were saying that they could be using scent dogs to detect things like cancer or COVID. At the rate it costs to use these dogs, you could be getting like instant COVID detection tests for less than two bucks a person instead of you know $200 for an instant COVID test. So imagine you've got this large group of people and the dog sniffs maybe 200 people. He finds a few that he detects to have COVID. They can now get you know, instant tests after that to verify it. So let's say for $400, dog sniffs out 200 people. Imagine if every one of those people paid for a COVID test, 40 grand. We could be saving so many lives and so much goddamn money if we just started using more scent dogs to do work for us, which they would gladly do. Like I said, they need something to do or they're going to eat your fucking couch. It's not like a cat. Cats are lazy as shit. They don't want to do anything. They sleep half the day, act like spoiled children. That's a cat's job. Dogs are different. That's why we call them man's best friend. And don't be coming down on me. Remember, I was a cat person. All right, my cat Clark, best cat ever. My best buddy. We were inseparable. But Clark was an asshole. I'll admit that. I love the kid, but he was a stone cold jerk. If he was sleeping on my lap while I was watching a ball game and I cheered suddenly, he'd bite me then run. If I sneezed around him, he'd attack me. He made our other cat's life a living hell. He'd steal my food if I left it unattended. He was a punk. But I love that punk. But owning a dog was a huge turnaround for me. Protected the house. Stayed on patrol all night while we slept. We never asked him to do that. He just did it because that was a job he gave himself. And he was also one hell of a scent hound. Yeah, I, you know, I've, I've been out of the restaurant loop for a long time. So I don't know who's who and what's what anymore. I decided to check just to see what some of, some of my favorite chefs are up to these days. And the news wasn't good, man. For one, Albert Adria, who... Last I had checked, it was running this tapas restaurant called Tickets in Spain after they closed El Bui. Apparently, it was part of this big restaurant group called El Bari, and it was run by these brothers, Iglesias brothers, and Adria was part of that group. Now, anybody who doesn't know who Albert Adria was, he was the creative genius behind legendary El Bui. Well, pre-COVID, this restaurant group, they were killing it. But once COVID struck Spain... And man, Spain got hammered. The entire thing went bankrupt. That means tickets is gone now. 
But there's this other restaurant that Adria is solely responsible for. It's called Enigma. He says he's restructuring that now. He's going to try to reopen sometime this year. The entire landscape of the restaurant business was due for a shakeup long before COVID came along. COVID just expedited the process. That's the reality of it, unfortunately. That fancy dining bullshit that we were all into for 20 years basically died around 2019. 20 years of bliss, okay? What's next? It's anyone's guess. I think the next big thing, which I've been predicting for well over 10 years, is bringing the restaurant experience home. That's what my friends and I have been doing for years anyway. The problem for most people is that they can't cook at a restaurant level. Or maybe they can, but they can't plate like professional chefs. So the food might, might taste really good, but it looks like a Rorschach test or a car accident on the plate. But that's why these home food delivery services have gotten so popular. HelloFresh, Blue Apron, easy to prepare meal kits with step-by-step instructions. Make it easy. You know, even a monkey could do this. But even if you don't want to cook, you've got professional chefs who are starting these home delivery services. Like my friend Debbie Lee from Next Food Network Star. She's had this home delivery service for years now called Mind Body Fork. Her food, it's off the charts excellent. Delivered to your home. Nobody I know can cook like this. So you can eat professionally cooked food in the comfort of your own home, right? All you have to do is set a nice table, learn how to plate like a pro, not that hard, light a candle, dim the lights, put on some jazz, date night. It's sad that it came to this, but let's admit it, it got expensive. And the exclusivity with some of these restaurants made it a real battle just to get a fucking table. Seriously, if you weren't around the LA area during the Ludo Bites pop-up years, believe me, it was a struggle. Securing a table at one of these events was like getting a ticket to the Super Bowl. High demand. Reservations to the French Laundry, Alinea, Noma. Good luck. Talk about planning ahead. Fine dining was on the way out long before all of this. And the whole Michelin star craze got way out of hand. But does it make me sad? Yeah, it makes me sad. There was nostalgia there. But I'd be lying if I told you I missed that part of my life. It was expensive. And driving around the really seedy parts of Los Angeles late at night wasn't the funnest thing in the world for me. And I just got fatigued over time. I did always come back with inspiration. All right, I learned stuff. That was the best thing about it. And so now, when I have people over, I do exactly what Katrina and I used to do. I'll prepare meals as close to what a pro chef would do, best I can manage anyway. Set a decent table, nothing like what my wife would do, and and plate as cleanly as I know how. Give people the best home-cooked meal I'm capable of on really nice plates, nice silverware. I'm not a candle guy, so count that shit out. But I want people to have a restaurant experience in my house without the hassle of paying the bill or leaving a tip. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to leave you with this because the advice column from Slate is always good for a laugh to end the show because you don't realize just how batshit some people are out there until someone writes in about them. Listen to this letter that this woman wrote in with. I recently returned to my job at a large company after maternity leave. I share two lactation rooms with several other women 
and store my milk in the mini fridge there during the day. A while back, I noticed that the milk I pumped and recorded didn't add up at the end of the day by roughly an ounce. It happened a total of three times over about two months. I finally said something to another nursing mom who had the same experience, and she thought she was going crazy too. We went to HR, which took our complaint very seriously, and the other women pumping verified that they had similar experiences. HR added a secure key card entry to the doors in addition to the lock on the inside. HR also started monitoring the room and discovered a man trying to get in, but, he, but they couldn't because he didn't have the right key card. They questioned him, but couldn't pin anything on him. I am struggling not to be creeped out that some weirdo was stealing milk I pumped for my baby for who knows how long. HR can't tell us who it was or punish him because he wasn't caught doing anything. The room feels secure, but I'm struggling to relax enough to pump effectively as he's probably still nearby. There are about 700 people working here. How do I get over it knowing he still works here and I may never know who he is? Now, I I read this. I'm like, let's address the most obvious thing first. Who in the hell would drink breast milk from a human being? That's just disgusting and perverted. I mean, it's theft, obviously. Fireable offense if they find out who it is. But it's just debaucherous and weird. And to me, it's grounds for a lengthy stay in the loony bin. What a fucking asshole. Who steals food from a baby? And who drinks milk from a stranger's tits? People who steal from the refrigerators and break rooms, these people are lower than the shit that settles at the bottom of a murky pond. If you've ever worked in a large office that had a break room, I'm sure you've seen this go down before. It didn't happen at the last place I worked at, although people would leave shit in there for over a month till it started to rot. We finally enforced a policy that the fridge you know, would get cleaned out every Friday at closing, except for like beverages and beers and stuff. But it was at the you guessed it, the photo lab where I worked, where all the good stories come from. It not only happened there, but it hit critical mass. For months, people were complaining that things were missing from their lunches or their entire lunch would be stolen. You know, we had a lot of Vietnamese people working there and they always brought like really delicious food. So it started happening to this really nice girl who worked in quality control. And she, this girl had excellent taste in food, right? She was always eating really cool things. But sweets were the first thing to disappear. If somebody brought cookies or brownies or something, gone. And no matter how much people complained, the owner and the general manager, they did jack shit. They put a sign on the fridge that said, do not take what's not yours. That was it. Thanks. So this girl, she decides she's going to take matters in her own hands. And this is something we've always dreamed of, right? She bakes brownies and she taints the entire batch with laxative medication. Now, I don't know what that would taste like. I don't know how you mask medicine in food. Maybe brownies are so rich and sweet, it's hard to detect anything. But she puts them in the fridge on a paper plate wrapped in saran wrap, puts a little sticky note on there that says, don't take. Sure enough, three go missing. And she was checking the fridge on the hour, she said. But before you know it, like a production supervisor starts going missing for extended periods of time. I think three hours passes. Next thing you know, he goes to our general manager, says he thinks he may have a stomach bug and needs to go home. So word gets around that he went home with stomach issues. 
Boom. She knows exactly who it was and that was him the whole time. But she made the critical mistake of telling everybody what she did. And of course, she gets in trouble for it. But she was accusing him of theft and she said, you know, he should be fired. This place wasn't going to fire anybody. They were lucky anybody wanted to work there in the first place. But what a fucking scumbag. So he returns the next day, found out it was her, and they never said another word to each other ever again. And it was an uncomfortable situation because in his position, he had to work closely with her department. The scheduling issues, deliveries and shit. We were laughing our asses off. The thought of him running to the toilet every 20 minutes, shitting his brains out. Shitting his brownies out. (laughs) Serves him right. How many times have I dreamed of of doing something like this as a prank? Never for revenge, though. That's nasty. God, of all the stories that came out of that place, that was the best one. And appropriately, I'm leaving you with a story about poop. Thanks again for listening. Sorry for skipping a week unexpectedly. Have a wonderful week and weekend. Until next time, my name is Phil. This has been Inane. Salute.